This morning, we are going to embark on a journey for the next four Sabbaths. And, and to me, I'm excited about it, not just because it's a series I get to go and, and do interrupted, because I don't have to travel um, for a little bit, but it's something that as I've begun to study and as I've begun to read a little bit more about it, it's forced me to think about the intentionality of worship. Now, I, I, I get it. We live in a weird time where we can, we have to hide behind masks. And I'm not talking uh, philosophically. We literally have to hide behind masks. I'm not going to get into the whole mask and COVID thing. It's not the time right now. But it becomes hard for us to worship, right? Why is that? Why is it hard for us to worship? Some of you may be asking, well, Pastor, um, it's not hard at all. Well, I beg to differ, and here's why. As I look and I see here out on, on the, at our congregation, I see a little slice of heaven. Should have gotten more. <laughs> I see a slice of heaven, and here's why. Not all of us are going to be white. Not all of us are going to be black. Not all of us are going to be Asian, Indian. We're going to have a, a variety of, of background grounds and cultures and ethnicities so this is a slice of heaven and that we have but i'm also talking to a reality that's staring us straight in the face because we all come from different backgrounds we all come from different home environments we all come from different ethnic bringings we all come from different cultures you know we all have these different perspectives of what worship worship and praise is we have those that like to shout hallelujah and like those who like to sit and ponder and think. We have those that like to interact and we have those that like to stay hidden in the corner. But you know what? That's who we are as people. But our worship should not be defined by my upbringing. And that's hard. Because as, as the verse that I shared with you in Proverbs, teach a child the way they should go, where when they are old they will not depart. You know, most of us have learned that and been taught that, that that is actually a literal thing, that if you teach a child here, you stay and walk in this line, they're going to stay in that line forever. That's the idea that comes with it. But that's not reality. It may happen. And if it does, great. Praise be to God. But if it doesn't, that's when we have to start questioning our motives. Because if we have that expectation that they will never leave, that they will never... 
skew away from or, or, or walk away from that which, what they have been taught as truth or as true, then we have done ourselves a disservice. Because we have plenty of illustration in the Bible. And, I, and, and one of the things that you heard me say in the very, I think it was in my second sermon or first, I, I don't remember, but that grace is not fair. We want grace extended to us, but we want justice exercised from us out. So this, this morning as we begin to talk about worship, we are going to think a little bit more about what does it really mean. So we're going to dive into, there are seven Hebrew words that define the word praise, okay? Worship is very straightforward. We understand what worship is. It's the pay, it's paying homage and respect due to our God and our Creator, right? But praise are different facets of worship. They're not necessarily all put together in the same worship environment. They can be. And that will depend on the individual giving worship. Because it can be led, but it also is spontaneous. It is something that flows as a reaction. Why am I saying this? Let me ask you a question. How many major events do we celebrate in church? Hmm. We can think of Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving. Guys, you're missing the biggest one of them all. Oh, now we got, now you're talking, okay? So we got marriage. Funerals, baby dedications, we come to church for. Communion, baptism, okay. You're still missing the biggest one. The Sabbath. Right? We come to church to worship on the Sabbath. But when you look at, at, biblically speaking, at the history of worship and history of praise, God designed worship to, to accomplish three things. One, the feasts, the feasts, which were the, the time of celebration, okay, they had three functions. And in those feasts include the Sabbath. The first is to commemorate the past mighty works of God. So the feasts are designed to, one, to, to celebrate and commemorate the things that God had done in the past, right? Two, they anticipated the future divine deliverance. Not only do you come because God has blessed you, so, and, we, and, and, and let's look at this from the Sabbath perspective. We come because God wants us to remember, remember, the seventh day to keep it holy, for in six days the Lord created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh he rested. So we remember God as our creator on the Sabbath day. And so they anticipated the future divine deliverance as well, the things that God would do ahead of them. But also, and third, they motivated the people to live in the present 
obediently before our holy God. The function is to remind us. It's a threefold reminder. Past, present, and future. And they're with us today. And so when, when they celebrated the feasts, see the Jewish feasting, they incorporated, these are big worships. And why am I talking about the worship feast in this series right off the bat? Because we have to understand why they came together in order for us to understand why praise is defined with seven different biblical words. So they came together, Sabbath in the weekly. They acknowledged, as we said before, God as their creator. They came together at Passover because they acknowledged they wanted to praise God for their delivery, their deliverance from the Egyptians. And then after Pentecost, they came together for Passover. Excuse me, for, for after Passover, they came together for Pentecost. It's also entitled Feasts of the Week. And they thank God for being their provider. After that, they had the, day, the Feast of Trumpets. There they acknowledged God as their judge, the one who would decide their destiny. And after Trumpets, they had the Day of Atonement which celebrated the fact that God was their vindicator and restorer. And lastly, they had the tabernacles, where they rejoiced that God had been their protector through the pilgrimage to the promised land. So when you think about this and you, and you read these about these feasts back in, in Leviticus chapter 23 and in Exodus chapter 20, in, in Leviticus chapter 25, you begin to see a picture of what it would look like. See, God instructed that they would come together for these feasts and they would celebrate together. So it's not just special occasions, but remember, we talked about the Sabbath. And in our context, context we have special days we celebrate, but more so than special days, we come together on the Sabbath, right? We come together to worship because we push the pause button to come and say, all right, I can breathe. Or at least we should be able to say that. I can breathe today. I can relax. I don't have to worry about my bills today because God will get me through that. He's, our de he's my deliverer. He will find a way. But when they came together, what did that look like? How, how was that worship? Each of them had a different component, as we just saw. So each of them is celebrated a little bit differently. That's why praise is such an imp important part in, in, in that it, talk, it shows that there's a, there's a variety of ways to praise the Lord. Do you celebrate the Sabbath? Please don't answer me. Do you celebrate the Sabbath? Because one of the first things that we, when we talk, we're going to get into the first of the two today, two Hebrew words we're going to talk about today. One of them is, a, is associated, these both are kind of associated with celebration. 
And you heard me talk about how I was in Brazil and, and I saw the celebration of the city erupting because they won the World Cup and I happened to be there. You know, I also remember um, watching the 2004 Boston Red Sox win the World Championship. And I think it had been close to 83 years before they had won their last one. And then later, the Chicago Cubs, the last, so the Red Sox and the Cubs were the last two to not have won for a long time. And people come, came out and drove in the street and they started shouting and, and, and celebrating. And I began to think about, you know, as I, as I began to read this word, halal. Its context is celebration. Ironically, this is also the root word in which we have our word, hallelujah. I'm going to talk a little bit about that here in a short minute. But here, here's the definition. It's actually not eight times in the Old Testament. If somebody out there is looking at halal is a, 146. That's a copy and paste error. 146 times you find the word halal in the New Testament. And it's to, it's to be clear, it's origin and sound, but usually a, a, a of color. To shine, hence to make a show, to boast, and thus be clamorously foolish. How many of you here are clamor, clamor, oh man, that's a tongue twister. clamorously foolish in church? <laughs> Thank you. I was getting there. He said, it's not proper. We don't come to a place because we have, we have been ingrained in our minds that worship has to be orderly. Orderly is not so much the fact that people are screaming hallelujah or shouting amen, but the fact that there's, it's, it's, a, it's chaotic mess where there's nothing planned. Nothing is done without intentionality. Order is intentionality, is planned. Because if it, if it was being proper, now I, I believe that comes from the British, no, being somber, I think that's the right word. Stoic, thank you, English is still my second language. Being stoic is all, some people believe that is, is synonymous to being spiritual. And that is not biblical. We were talking about fun yesterday. I, as I began to read a little bit on Ellen White and how she viewed worship, I'm going to paraphrase it. She said, worship should be fun. The problem is how, what we view as fun. But fun, in, in how I'm saying this, is that she describes a setting where people are engaged. People are engaged with worship. They are engaged with everything that's going on. So when I hear back from you guys, hey, you know, it's, 
not proper. That's perfect because you, we're on the same page. You understand. You are, are hearing the message, but it's not just about the message. It's also about song. It's about prayer. Thank you for that beautiful prayer this morning. Everything that we do should be fun. And, and, and some of you may ask, well, a Pastor, I, I don't know how to do that. It, it takes time and practice. If you're not practicing at home, celebrating, being clamorously foolish at home with God, you're not going to do it in church. Unfortunately, that's the reality. But the word halal is actually something, when, when you look in the context, it's, you find this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 15. The princes of Pharaoh saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. Who are they talking about? Sarah. She was one good-looking woman. If I was younger, I would say she was hot. And I mean that respectfully. But that's, how, that's what halal is, is to commend, to praise, oh, did you see her? Man, she's beautiful. And so they talked about it to Pharaoh. It's about not keeping it to yourself. It's about not, you know, holding it in. If you see something that God has done for you, you're going to shout, Hallelujah! But we don't do it here. We don't do that here. Or do we? Why not? Some. Some. And I get it. I told you last week, that as we were going to embark on this journey, it's going to cause you to wander and to think and to wrestle. Why do you do what you do? Or why don't you do what you don't do in church? Maybe because we had, don't have a really good understanding of what these words mean. The second word, this is accurate, only eight times in the Bible, is the word Shabbat. Not, not Shabbat, to be confused with, that, which is the word for Hebrew word for Sabbath. This is Shabbat. And it addresses in a loud tone. Both of them have the same kind of context. Both of them have the same kind of understanding that when you express your, your praise to God in this it is vocal. It is outward. It's not inward. It's not, well, you, it's not one of those where you sit and as you hear the, the pastor or the praise band or whoever is praying, you just sit back and you listen. Have you ever gone to a concert And you, everybody is either singing or praising or jumping up and down. But you just sit, you stood there like this. Uh-huh. If you haven't, try it. You're going to feel so out of place. That is the context of the praise in both Halal and Shabbat here in, in the Bible in Old Testament times. 
we find these words embedded. One of the greatest, greatest illustration of, of Shabbat is found in Second Chronicles. It says, I say, save us, O God, our, of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Now you see the word praise there. That is not the word Shabbat. That's another word. We're going to talk about that later. So where would you see, where do you think Shabbat is in this verse? Triumph. What gave you that clue? The medals? When you celebrate victory, how often do you see individuals saying, I won? Yay, I won. Good, mission accomplished. You don't. You see grown men cry. You see people celebrating, shouting, punching the water. Triumph, they have achieved something. But here, this is the context. Again, context is everything. This is the story of David when when the ark comes back home. He meets them. He dresses in, in priestly clo- clothing. And he goes out. And, he, and it's a wonderful story because every six spaces that they took, they built an altar. As the ark was, was making its procession back into the city, David led the priests singing and dancing. Yes, you heard me right. He was dancing. But it's not the dancing that we see on music videos. It's a different, it's a triumphant dance. It's a dance, oh, yes, I won, woohoo, yes. The ark is back. In other words, he was celebrating the fact that the presence, the, the thing that symbolizes the essence and the presence of God was back. And it made him shout, and it made him jump for joy, and it made him sing, and it made him be triumphant. Read that story. There's a little part over there that his wife, Michal, she saw him and she chewed him out. She chewed him out because he was behaving as an undignified king. In her mind, he should be stoic. In her mind, he should never have danced, as the commoners did. And God saw her actions, and as a result of her attitude, made her barren. You see, not engaging and not recognizing the works of God in your life will create a spiritual bareness in your heart that when you begin to see God working again and again, you will become so numb and cold to it that everything will become as if it should and there's no merit to it. When we don't recognize the works of God in our lives, we run the risk of becoming spiritually cold. And we risk being spiritually barren. 
So when you hear people say, hallelujah, or amen, and start and, and praise the Lord, join them. Oh, pastor, I don't feel comfortable. I know. I don't either. I'm being honest with you. I'm still struggling to raise my hands. Why? Because it was ingrained in me that that's wrong. When in the Bible you see something different. Lift up your hands, all ye gates. Hmm. Come to the, come worship the Lord with a shout of praise. Isn't that what you read this morning? Go ahead, do a Google search. You don't have to have a biblical <laughs> software. Do a Google search and say, shout to the Lord and see how many Bible verses you will find. Because that is the context of Shavak and the context of Halal. This is the story I was just referring to in First Chronicles chapter 16. This is the verse that you have. And so in the New Testament, we don't have, it's written in Greek, so you don't have the the word halal but you do have examples of it we saw it in and you heard in, in my sermon in in luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son when he comes home and he and grace is being given to him the type of celebration that is taking place is halal i had to go back to that story i'm like because I, w- I didn't really pay attention too much to the wording. And there's only one verse that talks and describes the entire feast and the mood and the environment. And that is the feast that they, they came to celebrate and to, be, to eat and be merry. I've <laughs> it would be a pretty boring place to go to if you were invited to somebody's house and everybody just kind of sat around the table and didn't say a word, wouldn't it? It'd be kind of awkward. That's not the kind of, you're like, I'm not going to that, that house again ever. That can be translated to church as well. People can feel uncomfortable here. If we all behave as stoics, if we all behave as if it's, it's natural. This is something I come and do. Been there, done that. I can go home now. Oh, but there's another part. Acts chapter 3. I love this story. Beggar has been there for 40 years. It is most likely that he heard of Jesus but never saw him or was able to get close to him. Because this is right after the Pentecost. This is right after Jesus ascends to heaven. So, and he was 40 years old. So there's no way that he wasn't alive when Jesus was alive. But for some reason, Jesus did not heal him. But, the, but this, this man recognized both Peter and John. And he says, please, give me something to eat. And, and Peter or some money. And Peter said to him, silver and gold I have none, but what I do have, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the crutches flew off, and he jumped as if nothing had ever happened. And it ticked off the Pharisees. 
participating in Shabbat and Halal will tick off the Pharisees. But if you are participating in Shabbat and Halal, you're doing what God has asked you to do. You're not doing something wrong. You're not doing something foolish. You're, you're being clamorously foolish before God, which is exactly what the definition of the word is. Right? Oh, but I love this even more. Oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in dry and in thirsty land where there's no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary. See, because halal and Shabbat shouldn't take place just when everything falls right. In, in Psalm chapter 63, if you read it, David was in the wilderness. David was in a place where he was being persecuted because he would come home and, and the women would sing, Saul slays his thousands and, and David his ten thousands and it created jealousy. And Saul persecuted David. Knowing that he was the anointed heir to the throne, he had to flee for his life. And while he was in the desert, he wrote this psalm, looking for God, understanding that's where God, praising God, despite everything that was going on around him. Which brings me to another point. We don't praise God just because we are in the mood to. We should be praising God because remember the three things we talked about in the very beginning? The past, how he has led us. The future, how he will lead us. And that should give us enough energy and motivation to continue to live in the present. That's what Psalm 63 is. To see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. And I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. No, he wasn't vegetarian. And my mouth shall praise you. With joyful lips, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory for the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. You see, when you praise God, you are acknowledging that he's the soul and being that it has control of your life. You let go of your selfish ambitions to provide for yourself. Because praising is also saying to God, I trust you and I depend on you 
every single moment. You know, I mentioned that halal is the root word for hallelujah. Do you know that there's only one place in the Bible where you find this word? It's in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. I looked it up. There's no hallelujah in the Old Testament. And there's no hallelujah in the new, or halal in the new because it's in Greek. But the root word for that is in Revelation chapter 19. What is chapter 19? Can you go back one, please? Chapter 19 is the culmination of being in heaven. And the saints who are in heaven are shouting, Hallelujah! They are being clamorously foolish in heaven. <laughs> I get a kick when I see either movies or, or even cartoons or, or this idea that heaven will be this peaceful place. It will be peaceful. There will be no war. But it's not going to be quiet. It's not going to be a place where you just hear harps. I don't know who came up with that. But there's going to be some singing, some praises. There are going to be some people shouting hallelujah. And it's not just the saved. It's the angels and the elders that encompass the throne. It's everybody giving homage to our king. So this brings me to my next slide. In Psalm chapter 45, verse 1, One generation shall... Praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Here's the question I want to leave you with. How are you teaching your next generation to praise God? How are we defining what praise actually really is? Stop that. I don't. I don't know them. That's often sometimes the reaction when you get somebody who doesn't worship or praise the same way you do and is next to you. But David, when he wrote this psalm, he asked and he begged to to me to ask you this question. How are we teaching the next generation? Are are we putting the, the clamps on that? Are we putting the lid on them being clamorously foolish because they recognize who their creator is. My challenge to us, I'm putting myself in this as well, because we need to start reevaluating what praise looks like in our own lives. And it begins in our own home. You know, yes, the Bible teaches us that when we pray, we should go into a closet and shut the door, and that's our time with God. That's that moment. But are our kids seeing us praising God when no one else is looking? Are they seeing what halal and Shabbat looks like? Being modeled to them, not just at home, but also here in church. I pray that as we continue to grow together and as we look at our next few times together, it will be uncomfortable, I think. But that's okay. 
I never seen Jesus turn away somebody who was wanting to worship him. Amen. Truthfully. I pray that we continue to praise God and to teach our next generations. And this goes to the teachers as well. You also are responsible to model halal and shabak. May all of us model that the way God has described it in the Bible. May God bless you.